If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find and open up to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. All right. Uh, good morning. We are one week closer to Christmas. All right. How many of you guys have your tree up? Anybody? We put ours up this week. All right. How many of you guys have started baking cookies? I baked four dozen cookies. Uh, I was up until about 1130 one night this, this week. I'm not really sure why. Like I still, they weren't, they weren't needed like the next morning or anything like that. But I just, sometimes you just get baking and you don't want to stop. All right, how many of you guys have some presents wrapped? That's the real, that's impressive. All right, those of you guys, pat yourself on the back. That's, you're, you're ahead of the game here, all right? Last week, we started a new series that we are calling Carols. All right, where we are just looking at some beloved Christmas carols and allowing the theme of that carol or a few lines of that carol to kind of springboard us into a message. All right, and my hope is that by using carols to do this, uh, that in future years, you know, whether it's the rest of this Christmas season or future years, that when you sing these carols, when you hear these carols, when you read those lines, that it would continue to impact you. That, that you would think a little bit more in depth about what those lines are saying and what they actually mean. Because I think oftentimes uh, we do this in worship, we do this in reading our Bible, where it just kind of becomes second nature and you're reading through and you're not really thinking about what you're actually reading or saying or singing. Um, and so uh, last week we looked at the song, Oh Holy Night. And it had a little bit of a crazy history to the song. Uh, it, it was fun to kind of dig into that. And we looked at the two lines, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices as yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And we talked through that. Uh, if you missed that at all, you can check that out on the church website. You can click on media and then there's Long Prairie uh, with that. And, and I, I was excited about that message, just talking about this idea of hope, like our world Weary world, that describes our world today just as much as any other time, and we need this thrill of hope. Uh, so you can check that out on there. Also, last week, we made a pretty big announcement here uh, that of hiring, all right? And we have that um, on our media page as well, if you want to go and actually watch all of that. Uh, but the gist of it is we are hiring full-time Aaron Olson, Pastor Aaron Olson, full-time as an associate pastor here in Long Prairie. We are super excited about that. She's actually back at, at Sox Center today, and she's, it's kind of being announced there because they want to be able to celebrate. Uh, she uh, has been serving our church for so many years uh, and then started going through schooling and really wanting to move down this path. Uh, the other thing that was announced last week in Sox Center is that they have actually hired full-time uh, Pastor Jeremy Matvey. And some of you will know Jeremy because his wife, Chelsea, used to be the youth pastor here quite a few years ago. Uh, so he is on staff full-time over there. Uh, and, and it's just a, a, a super exciting time for our church to be making these full-time hires, stepping out in faith, and believing that this is part of where God's taking us. So uh, we're excited. All right, enough of that. Uh, I want to move on with today. Would you stand with me uh, as we read just a single verse out of the book of Isaiah? This is Isaiah chapter 7. It'll be on the screen, verse 14 for us. It says this, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God, I pray this morning as we look at, uh, as we look at this verse, as we look at this idea, 
Lord, that we would just see things through a new lens. Maybe we've, we've read this before, we've heard this part of the story before, but God, that today it would be different and it would just challenge us in a new way, Jesus. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right, based off of this verse, you might be able to guess what Christmas carol we are looking at, but in case you don't know, we'll be looking at a favorite of mine, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. All right, and uh, my wife Emily has this massive playlist for Christmas time. How many of you guys have like a Christmas playlist that's saved on your phone or somewhere and you play it? Okay, so hers is, uh, I asked her, um, the last count was 297 songs, I think. So it's about 16 hours of Christmas music. I like to just have like six or seven of my favorite ones on repeat. But this is a different approach, all right? And there's somewhere between... 20 to 30 versions of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because this is her favorite song. All right, so all these different versions from these uh, old choirs that are singing it to new versions to these like heavy rock versions of it, like all these different things on her Christmas playlist. Uh, but O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And, and last week, the song that we looked at, O Holy Night, had this crazy history. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case with all Christmas carols. And our one today it's kind of hard to actually trace the history of it because of how old it is. Like how old the roots are for this. Uh, and it actually, the origins of this song date back to the 8th or 9th century. So that'd be 700, 800, like, like way back. It dates way back. Uh, and, and the week leading up to Christmas, monasteries and, and convents would chant a series of verses, a different verse each night, to prepare their heart for the coming day of Christmas. All right, and these were known as the O Antiphons. O Antiphons. Uh, and each one of these verses starts with O, and they're going to be on the screen behind me here. Uh, and I'm not going to read these, because they are in Latin, and there is better ways to spend our time than laughing at me as I try and read Latin and butcher all of this. All right, so this is, this is the O Antiphons, and they would read... Um, there's this whole verse that kind of went with each one, each night leading up to Christmas. And by the 12th or 13th century, the verses were reworked as a hymn. All right, and some of them were cut and they were reordered. And you might recognize some of these uh, in this order a little bit more uh, with what we have here. And then the accompanying music, uh, it seems like sometimes in the 15th century, was put with this song. And instead of a major key, if you've ever noticed, there's a different feeling to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's because the song is in a minor key, all right? And the music for it, uh, they think, again, when you have this super old song, all these different things happen in history, so you're trying to kind of trace it. It's not like people are lying about the history. They're just really trying to figure out what happened. Uh, and, and what this was, was a processional for nuns, this French uh, kind of song that they have now put with these O antiphons, these verses, all right? And the reason for it to be in a minor key was it was meant to put you into this, this feeling of expectation, which is why all of this was, was the days leading up, the week leading up to Christmas. It's meant to transport us back to when Jesus hadn't come yet and the world, the Jewish nation, Israel was waiting for this Messiah and this Savior. And you're supposed to just be longing for it. So there's this kind of almost eerie, kind of almost sad, mourning, somber feel to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's very much so on purpose. 
All right, then in the 1850s, John Mason Neal, someone who translated a lot of Latin hymns, put this song into a hymnal. And now if you look through hymnals from the last couple hundred years, uh, you will see this song in there. And, and things have been changed. The order of the verses, it kind of it really depends on what you're looking at. Like you'll see different verses, and some you recognize, some you don't. Uh, and, and so here's the amazing thing. When we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we are actually kind of in some way participating uh, in a, an Advent tradition that stretches back 11 centuries. Like there's very few things um, for us, we are a non-liturgical church, in our history that we can relate and date back that many years. Uh, so it's, it's this really just cool kind of thing that we can have, all right? Now the modern song itself, it starts off with these lyrics. Okay, I want us to read this. It starts off with, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel, the mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. We probably recognize that. We all know the first verse of like every Christmas carol. Second verse, you sing the first line and you're kind of strong and then it kind of gets weak. Third verse comes around and if you're Christmas caroling, everyone's just humming at that point and kind of saying watermelon, watermelon, because we don't know them. But this verse, all right, right here, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, I, I love this picture that we have. Uh, and, and I love, it's talking about this ransom, captive Israel. And you're like, man, we're singing a song about like kidnapping. Like what is going on here? Uh, who has kidnapped who? And, and the reality of this um, is that Israel has just, they, in a sense, kidnapped themselves. They need someone to rescue them from themselves is, is what this is. And, and this word Emmanuel, this was part of our verse for today in Isaiah 7. Um, Emmanuel is a phrase or a name and it means God is with us. God is with us. Like, that's amazing. God is with us. How crazy that the, the creator God of the universe is with you. I like, why don't we get more excited about that? Like, that, that is a huge thing. That God is with us. God is with you wherever you go. When you leave here today, God does not stay in this room. You leave and then come back next week to visit God. God is with us. He goes with us. All right, why don't we get more excited about this? Well, I have a few ideas. I think the first one is this, if you're taking notes. We take it for granted. We do. We absolutely take the idea that God is with us, God is with you, God is with me for granted. We didn't have the type of relationship that is shown in the Old Testament. All right, their relationship with God had to keep them separate from God because of their sins. Because their sins separated from God, if they approached God's presence in the wrong way, they could die. Once a year, the high priest would enter into what was called the Holy of Holies, into God's presence. And this was a big deal, and it was terrifying. All right, they had all sorts of things, rituals that they had to go through to prepare themselves and hopefully be in the right place and not have sin in their life to go in there. And the crazy thing is this. They would actually tie a rope to the high priest with some bells. And he would walk in there, and he would walk in because if he had done something wrong and he died in God's presence, they could just drag him out. Literally, like this is, this is what happened. Like could you imagine if as you walked in today, we had ushers standing at the door, like okay, hey, here's your rope, all right, let's tie it around you. Good luck. Hopefully I don't have to drag you out of there. You know, or like we walk into church and we're sitting here and and, you know, if we do something wrong and we're like, oh, this is boring, I'm going to take my phone out, pull your phone out, you touch the screen, unlock it, and bam, lightning just kills you. Like, 
That's not the relationship we have with God anymore. And I'm not in any way saying I wish that were the case. Like, that's not what we have, and I am glad for it. But we take that for granted. We really do. Like, we can be spending time in God's presence and get distracted so easily. I started trying to make a habit of when I am, when I am spending time with God, removing my watch so it's not vibrating and buzzing, leaving my phone somewhere else, because otherwise, nonstop, and you're just like, oh, well, what is it? Is it important or is it not? And we get distracted so easily. Like, we don't, we take this for granted, that God is with us everywhere we go, and because of it, we don't approach him in the same way anymore. All right? Now, the second reason we don't get excited about this idea, I think, is because oftentimes we don't actually believe it. Like, maybe we say it and maybe we think we believe it, but we don't live as if we believe it. All right, like, we have this idea of what our life would look like if God actually were with us. If God were with me, then my life would be a whole lot better. If God were with me, then I wouldn't have had to have gone through this certain thing in life. All right, like, if God were with me, I wouldn't have lost this person in my life. If God were with me, then I would have gotten that job that I wanted. But the problem is God being with you doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get everything that you want in life. Think about this with me, all right? And I want to kind of take a few moments to convince us of this, all right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, she would be, I guess what we could call the physical embodiment of this promise, Emmanuel, God with us. All right, like, I mean, for nine months, God was with her every single moment. Whether she wanted him there or not, God was with her, right? Like, there's probably some times when she's eight or nine months pregnant trying to sleep at night, and she's like, God, can you just not be with me right now? (laughs) Can I just get one night of sleep? You know, type of thing. Like, so Mary is kind of this, like, perfect case study of what does it look like for God to be with us, all right? And, And it begins kind of even before uh, before Jesus' birth, all right? Mary first comes on the scene in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We see Mary is a young girl. She's engaged to a man who's a descendant of King David. Everything's going great for her. Then Gabriel shows up, a messenger from God, visits her, and he says a few things to her, all right? And so we'll have this kind of on the screen behind me here. Uh, but at the end of this, he's going through this, and he says these words, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. All right, this is kind of like our case study. What does it look like for God to be with you? All right, and from this moment on, the angel saying the Lord is with you, her life gets exponentially crazier, harder, and way more difficult to live. She goes on to find out that she will be pregnant, and that's not ideal considering that she is not married and the culture that she lives in. All right, a little bit down the road here, she, she's far along in the pregnancy, the empire that has militarized her entire area that is occupying them decides to raise taxes. And because they're raising taxes, everyone has to go back to where they are originally from, their ancestors, and they have to be counted. Okay, could you imagine this? Like, if all of a sudden, let's just say uh, we didn't win the Revolutionary War, or Britain conquered us, and all of a sudden we have someone else occupying us, and they're like, all right, all of you, go back to wherever your first family came. You got to go there and get counted. All right, but you are eight, nine months pregnant and you don't have a vehicle. Like this is, this is what's happening here. All right, and she, 
So they're traveling back again, 80-mile trip on horseback or donkey. And then while you are there, you get stuck there, okay, away from Mary's hometown, away from Mary's mom and family, away from her midwife, away from everything that she had planned for this birth. The Lord is with you. And this is what's happening. The birth happens, and you have all these people coming and visiting. All right, shepherds are like filing in to see your baby and they want to hold it. And you're like, ew, please wash your hands. Like, you're shepherds. Like, what is going on here? All these things are happening. And then thankfully, some other visitors come and they actually drop a ton of cash, like, in your lap. A ton of money. Like, and this actually, what the wise men gave, that would have then been their money to do what they did over the next few years. Like, really is what happens here. All right, and then this is all pretty inconvenient and awkward, but it gets way worse. As a young mom, you hear that there are Roman soldiers marching from five miles away to come for your baby. So in the middle of the night, you get up and you flee and you start this 300-mile trek down to Egypt. And on the way, you get this report that the soldiers got to Bethlehem. They rounded up all the boys who had been born in the past two years and slaughtered them all. And they are looking for your baby. And this is what you are thinking about as you flee a land that you know, and going somewhere you don't know. And you get to Egypt, and you're just stuck there. You don't know anyone, and you are raising this toddler. You know, you're there for a year or more. Finally, you hear that this terrible guy has died, so you decide to go back. You go back, you're like, hey, maybe we should raise him uh, in the town of his ancestors. Let's go back to Bethlehem. They go there, and come to find out that this terrible guy, his son, is now ruling. So you're like, well, we can't do that. So now they move up to Nazareth. All right, and... and You move back to your hometown, and the rumor mill is just turning. Here's this girl that said that she was miraculously pregnant, disappeared for years. Now she's back with a baby. And this is your life. This is three years of Mary's life. And she is the case study for all this. It started with, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Have you ever been sold something that later on you went back and you're like, that that is not at all what they said it was going to be? Right, like I, I can just imagine like Mary and Gabriel's next interaction, whenever that is. And her's walking up, and be like, Gabriel, yeah, I got a bone to pick with you. Favored woman, you don't know what that word means. Get a dictionary here. Like, come on, like God is with me. Like, I, I this is this is what would happen if this were me. All right, I'm not saying Mary's doing this, but this is what it means. God is with us. This is our template. And actually, it it really is beautiful. I'm sure Mary's life didn't look anything like she thought it would and probably didn't look anything like what she thought it it should. But if you notice in the story, especially if you're reading through the book of Matthew, in the beginning, uh, each time Mary and Joseph and Jesus go through one of these big shifts, it concludes with Matthew pointing out how God's hand was on them through this. All right, so, you know, Mary and Joseph, having to go to Bethlehem, fulfilled what the prophet said. That's what it says in Matthew. It says, fulfilled what the prophet said. The family fleeing to Egypt says, fulfilled what the prophets said. Herod, killing all the young boys, fulfilled what the prophets said. That doesn't mean that God set that up. God did not set up this slaughter. But what is happening here is fulfilling what the prophets have said, and it's showing that God is with them. The family moving back and moving to Nazareth instead of Bethlehem, it ends again with the line, fulfilled what the prophets said. God was with them. In the midst of all of this, God was with them, and God is with us. 
even when it doesn't seem like it. And I would say especially when it doesn't seem like it. All right, we can't base whether God is with us or not based on our circumstances and what is happening in our life. If we did that while looking at Mary's story, I think everybody would come to the conclusion that based on her circumstances for three years, that God was not with her. If God's presence is decided on by our circumstances. But we know through this that he was. All right? And not only is he with us, but he's never going to leave us. He's with us. He's promised that. He has fulfilled that in Jesus coming and physically being here with us. And when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was sent and is still with us. All right, in Romans chapter 8, it says this, verse 35. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he is no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Not your fears, not your insecurities, or your doubts, or your theological questions, your brokenness, or failures, or past mistakes, or divorce, or what someone did to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. Emmanuel, God is with us. It's so amazing. And when we understand this, when we actually believe that God is with us, all right, and then more than that, when we actually begin to live like we believe that God is with us, it changes everything when you know God is with you. We just signed our kids up, all three of them, for hockey. All right, pray for us. And we've been going for a little bit here. And Junie has been getting into skating. And she'll walk out, and she's got all the pads on. And she just is, you know, kind of going like this. She's got these little pink skates that she loves because they're pink. And we get close to the ice, and right away, it's, Dad, hold my hand. Hold my hand. And we go to open skate lots of times, uh, even on, on, in Sunday evenings, and she wants to hold my hand. And we get out on the ice, and then even a little bit after that, she kind of gets one of those things that she's pushing around, and she doesn't even need me to hold her hand. At that point, she doesn't want me holding her hand. She doesn't even want me touching the little glider thing that she's pushing, but she wants me right there next to her. She doesn't want me to skate away. I have to be right there with her. Right, she doesn't need me to do anything, and she doesn't want me to do anything. She just wants to know that I'm there. And when I am there, she begins to step out and do things that she would not otherwise do. And she has a courage and a boldness that she would not have on her own because I am there with her. When we understand that God is with us, it gives us courage to live our life differently. Like, living our life for God is difficult. It's not an easy task. To actually live a different life, to live what God is calling us to. All right? God being with us is not just like, oh, I have extra luck and favor and blessing that get heaped on my life and I live my life the way I want it. And hey, God's with me. He's along for the ride with me. That's not what this is. Christmas season... Uh, 
is a magnifier in our lives. And what that means is this. If, if your life is going really well and you are happy and joyful and loving everything that's going on, usually Christmas then just makes your life that much better. Like it just takes what's going on in your life and, and you're that much more excited. All right, but Christmas is a magnifier. And if your life is not going well and you are, you are struggling and every day you wake up and it's just hard and you have relational things that are going on and you've been feeling depressed in the holiday season, like Christmas season, what it does is it magnifies that. And if your life has not been going well, Christmas season, more than likely, it's going to be even worse. Christmas is a magnifier. I'm not sure why. It just seems to do that in our lives. And, and I, I think the pain that is already there is felt even deeper at Christmas time. The despair and the loneliness is ten times worse. During this Christmas season, we need to cling to this promise that was made 3,000 years ago that God will be with us, that he is with us. And your circumstances in life do not show whether God is with you or not. God is with you. God is with you. And when we read through this story, we should be reminded of how he is with us and what it looks like. All right, it's not some fairy tale. It's God at times divinely orchestrating things. At other times, he is using, not necessarily causing, but using tragic things to bring about his plans. God is with us, Emmanuel. All right, let's stand together. This song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, has all sorts of little things in its history uh, that are sort of hard to trace and know for sure whether it happened or if it was on purpose or not. Uh, and, and I want us to look at this. When we look at the, so, the seven O antiphons, and you look at them in their Latin wording, uh, the first letter of each one of these, it would spell out sarkor. All right? It means nothing. Don't worry. All right? But in, in, in Hebrew text, often, throughout the Psalms, we miss this. In, in Psalms, in Lamentations, they often will start each line of poetry with maybe the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. This happens actually quite often in our Bible. We don't notice it because when it's translated to English, it doesn't work the same. All right, but this was a common way of kind of doing things. Uh, and so, well, this word sarkor up here, in Latin, it, it doesn't mean anything. But if you put it in reverse, arrow cross, that word in Latin means, I will be present tomorrow. All right, and, and that's part of the reason why it's thought that these are read all the way up until Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the last one of the O antiphons, and it's the O come, O come, Emmanuel. As I will be present tomorrow. All right, now here's the thing. There's actually, we don't know if this was on purpose, we don't know if this is just some, some crazy thing. Because in Hebrew, that happened often. There's actually no, there's no history showing that in Latin that people would do this that often. But regardless, like how amazing is that? Even if this wasn't on purpose, that we can look at something like that and just find one more way that God is speaking to us today. Maybe when the author wrote this down, it wasn't on purpose. But maybe God divinely gave someone the knowledge to see this and just have one more thing that's encouraging for us. 
One more way for us to be remembering that God is with us and he's never going to leave us. All right? The all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present creator of the universe, God, is with you. And that changes everything. When you are lost and don't know where to go, he is with you as your guide. When you're hurting and alone, he is with you as your friend. When you are in the middle of a trial, God is with you as your comforter. When you are sick, God is with you as your healer. When you are in your sin, God is with you as your savior. How amazing is that? I want to do this. I want us to just take a moment and truly reflect on this promise because it is so incredibly simple and yet so often we don't believe it. We don't live our life knowing this. So what we're going to do is this. Tira is going to go back into the last song that we sang during worship here and, and just sing for a short amount of time. And I want us to just stop. I want you to say, God, help me understand this. Help me believe this. What does this mean for me right now in my life with this? So where you are, just make a little spot. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to open them, if you want to sing, if you don't want to sing, just make a spot right where you are to meet with God right now as we sing this song. Some of us really need to know that God is with us. Uh, that God is with you in your difficulties, in your pain. Some of us in the room are going through incredibly hard things right now. And we have to remember this. We have to believe this. We have to know this. We have to trust this. Like, it, it's going to take trust because when you look at your circumstances, you're going to say, I don't think God's with me. All right, go back and read through Mary's story. Like, she's the first one. The Lord is with you, favored woman. And you have three years of chaos and running for their life and being terrified for, for their child's life. But God was with them through all of that. How many of you would say right now, Josiah, would you pray for me? Because I really need God's presence. And I really need to understand and believe that God is with me because I am going through some difficult things and, and, and I can't do this on my own and I need God. If that's you, if you're going through something like that, would you just slip your hand up? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. God, I pray that in every single one of these situations, Lord, that despite the circumstances, that we would trust that you are with us, that we would know that, God, and that we would even just seek out just your hand in these situations. God, give us like the right, the right perspective to see how you are moving, especially when it's not the way that we necessarily think it should be done. God, that, that we would know, that we would trust, we would believe that you are with us. God, and we thank you for that promise and knowing that that promise is just so real and so true. Thank you for being with us. Jesus, especially in the midst of our sin, of our mistakes, of us screwing up, you don't walk away and say, hey, get your act together, get clean, then I'll come back and I'll be with you. God, you are with us through everything. You are right there in the midst of our sin. You are our Savior. Jesus, thank you for that. 
Last thing. Maybe you're here and you're, you're saying, hey, I'm going into the Christmas season and it's just always kind of been Christmas for me and gifts and, and this. And I've never really, this idea of truly focusing on Jesus, that this is actually about him and that he is with me and that he makes a difference in my life and my life can be different with him in it. This is all new to me. And I, I've never made a decision to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. I want to try and live for you. If that's you and you'd say, this is all new, but I, I want to try this. Let me tell you this. Right now, this Christmas season, there's not a better time. But really, because the best time is always right now. Whatever moment you find yourself in, that's the best moment for this. But right now, man, I'm telling you, you make this decision and the next couple weeks here as you begin to celebrate Christmas, it's going to look different. You're going to have a different outlook on life. You're going to have a different perspective if you can just say, Jesus, I want to live for you. And if that's you and you would say, I want to live for Jesus. I haven't made this decision before, but I want to make this decision now. Or maybe I made the decision a long time ago and I don't know if I've been living this way and I just need to make this declaration right now. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? This is always one of the best decisions we can make. Absolute best. If you have questions about that, if you're wondering, what does that look like? Am I signing up to be part of a church or something? Absolutely not. I would love to sit down and talk with you about that. We don't ever want someone to feel manipulated and pulled into any type of decision in life. It just doesn't last when that happens. But I would love to just help you walk through some of what that looks like in life. All right. And actually, the last thing that we're going to do here is this. Uh, we're going to do our Christmas offering, and I'm excited about this. All right, like this is, this is an amazing opportunity. It's what it is. Don't, and I want to say this, don't feel any guilt or pressure or anything like that to give. All right, there are people that they want to be generous at Christmas time. They want to give. They want to be part of this. And what this is doing is just, we said last week, we are stepping out in faith and hiring full-time at both places. Uh, this will be our, our first, you know, staff hire here. Sock Center's fifth full-time pastor that they're hiring. Like, this is a big deal for us. And we, we want to just start 2022 running. And we believe that as a church, we can do that. Uh, our church has always been so good, so generous in these things. Uh, so we want to do that. And what's going to happen is here, we're going to pass the buckets here shortly. While that's going then, uh, we are going to sing through O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. All right, we're ending the service with that. And, and I want you to be thinking about what does this mean? This word, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with me. And just let that, let that sink in differently today for you. All right, so I want to pray uh, then we're going to pass the buckets and then we're going to sing that song and then I, I will dismiss us after we are done singing that song. So God, I, I thank you for just the generous hearts that you have put in so many people in our churches here. God, that we just have this desire to be on mission and on point with what you want to be doing in these communities, what you want to be doing in our country and around the world. God, and, and, and I know that for us, this is a huge part of how we can be part of that. As Americans, we've been, been blessed beyond belief. 
God, and sometimes the best way that we can see your kingdom move forward and your gospel go forward around the world is just by being generous. So God, I pray that, uh, that this offering, Lord, would just go towards moving your kingdom, expanding your kingdom in Long Prairie, in Sauk Center, in the surrounding communities, Lord, and around the world. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.